Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. I was raised in a Christian home and have known the Lord since I was a kid. A few years ago, I was self-hating, self-defeating, and suicidally depressed. I was trapped in an isolating cycle of excessive eating, drinking, and despair, acknowledging that God was sovereign but unable to feel his love and purpose for me. I figured that my life had been good enough, and I didn't want to do or be anything ever again. But my friends and family loved me when I didn't. Jesus loved me when I didn't. Jesus met me as I stepped out in faith. I moved to a new country where I knew no one, made friends, and joined a new church. He helped me walk into living joy by focusing me on the feeding of my heart, a diet of peace cycling inside and out. Today I live lightly, with confidence that no matter how I feel or where I am, all will be good as God is good. My name is Nathan Stringer, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Our readings this morning come from Paul's letter to the Romans and the Gospel according to Matthew. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Nathan. I really appreciate it. So good morning again. Um, sorry, I'm losing my voice a little bit. I had a uh, birthday party that I was a bar- part of yesterday for my four-year-old. And uh, <clears throat> we had a dozen four-year-old girls over at the house for a tea party. And so uh, I'm still recovering. But it was wonderful. Uh, if you've been with us uh, the last uh, several weeks, you know we are in a series called Love Where You Live. And the series is designed to help us learn how to be the kind of neighbor that Jesus has called us to be. And uh, we know that uh, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your heart, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. We, we know that. We want to live it. But it's hard to live it out. It really is hard to live it out. And if you were here last week, you know that Keith was sharing with us how we need help, right? We need to ask for help sometimes. And he asked us this question. He said, is it more comfortable for us to extend help to someone that needs help? Or is it more comfortable for us to ask for help? And without fail, everyone said, oh, it's a lot more comfortable to extend or to offer help to someone else, right? We're in the power position when that's the case, right? But when we need to ask for help, well, that takes humility. And that's challenging, right? But if we want to be, if we want to be the type of neighbors that God is calling us to be, we need to be willing to give help, extend help, and also receive help. And I know this is hard. This is hard for all of us. How many of you have been driving uh, with your husband? Right? It's usually the guys, because I'm guilty. And you're trying to find some place, right? Now, this has changed a little bit with GPS, a device that has saved my marriage. But before that came along, I did not want to ask for directions. If I was driving along and I got lost, 
I would see someone that looked like they had the answer, and I would drive right by. And I would just say, just give me a little more time. I, I got this, right? What is it in us that drives us to that? Well, it's a pride issue, and we need to let that go if we want to develop the kind of relationships that God is calling us to. Now, how many of you took Keith's advice this past week and actually asked someone for help in an area where you needed help? Did anyone try it? Yes? Susanna tried it. Anybody? A few other people? I tried it. And you know what I found? It actually draws you closer to that person. It draws you closer to that person. That person feels connected to you. And that's what neighboring is about, right? It's relationship. We put ourselves in a position where we can receive help, where we can offer help, where we can build intimacy with the person. And that's part of it. This week, we're going to be talking about peacemaking instead of peacekeeping. And there's a big difference between the two. Peacemaking enables us to engage in a conflict with the goal of better understanding that other person. Okay, so our goal is to understand where that other person is coming from, even in the midst of our conflict. When we enter into a conflict with a heart of peacemaking, we are willing to forgive that person. We're going into it with a willingness to forgive. And we go into it with a desire for reconciliation. All of that has to do with peacemaking. Now, peacekeeping is very different from that. Peacemaking... or Uh, allows you to do all those things. Peacekeeping avoids conflict. How many of you have been in a conflict with someone and you just thought, I'm just going to wait until it goes away, right? I will avoid that person. I don't care how long it takes. It's just going to go away. That is peacekeeping, not peacemaking. It avoids conflict for fear of ruffling feathers. We don't want to create more drama, so we avoid it. Uh, A peacekeeper is willing to settle for the status quo. You know things could be better in that relationship, but you're willing to deal with the status quo. And finally, you are unable to pursue reconciliation because you're not willing to put yourself in a position where reconciliation is possible. That's peacekeeping. It's very different from peacemaking. Now, how many of you have a Facebook account? Yeah, almost all of you have a Facebook account. Now, I want to ask you a question about your Facebook account. How many of you have received a friend request from someone out of the blue, someone maybe from 10 or 20 years ago, that hurt you in some way, offended you in some way all those years ago, maybe it was in high school, and suddenly you open your Facebook account and there's a friend request from that person? Have you ever experienced that? So what do you do with that? You don't want to be friends with that person, right? So you ignore it. And every time you open your Facebook account, you see that request sitting there. So what do you do over time? You accept the friend request because you're Christian, right? (laughs) You accept it. And then, right after you accept it, you get an instant response from that person saying, how wonderful it is to be so connected after all these years, right? How wonderful it is that we can finally reconnect after all these years. It's as if that person doesn't even remember what they did to you. How badly they hurt you. How badly they offended you. And yet, here's the friend request. Then, to make matters worse, they post a picture of their family. And it's a beautiful picture. 
Everyone looks happy. Everyone looks beautiful. Smiling faces. Everybody's sit- sitting on a bale of hay. There's, there's corn stalks. There's corn stalks and pumpkins next to them. And everyone, it's like it's sending a message that's saying, my life could not be better. Right? And anything that's going through your mind is like, I would like to take one of those pumpkins and use it to smash that grin right off that person's face. What is happening? What is happening to you? Why this kind of response after 20 years? You know what it is? Baggage. 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 And you know where baggage comes from? Baggage comes from unresolved conflict, or a lot of times it does. Unresolved conflict that has been pressed down into the compartments of your life with the expectation that you will never tap into that ever again. Right? You press it down and you hide it somewhere deep inside. But the problem is, every time you engage in another conflict, it creates more baggage, and you press that baggage down, and over time, you're carrying more and more baggage with you, and then something as benign as a friend request can cause you to use pumpkins or want to use pumpkins in ways that pumpkins should never be used, right? That's what's happening, baggage, and we all carry it with us, okay? Why do you think that God is so adamant about encouraging us to become peacemakers. He knows that if we don't deal with this baggage, it's going to kill us from the inside out. It's going to destroy us from the inside out. And do you think my friend from 20 years ago had any idea of the response that he would get when he sent that friend request? He probably doesn't even remember the issue. But something inside of me is still going on. Something caustic. Something hurtful. And it's not hurting him. It's hurting me. It's from unresolved conflict. It's baggage in my life. The thing about unresolved conflict is it has an impact on our ability to be the kind of neighbor that Jesus is calling us to be. It affects our relationship with self. It affects our relationship with God, and it affects our relationship with others, all in detrimental ways. If we're carrying around bitterness and baggage and resentful feelings with us all the time, it keeps us from engaging in those relationships in a way that is healthy and life-giving. And we need to change that. And that's why God is so emphatic about peacemaking. We can never be reconciled with God in the way that we want to be reconciled. We can never be reconciled with ourselves or with others until we deal with this. In Matthew 5, 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And by the way, sons means daughters as well. Sons and daughters of God. That's a pretty bold statement. You are a son or daughter of God when you become a peacemaker. Why is that? Because you are embodying the very character and nature of God. We live in a world that is filled with conflict. You can't turn on the news or talk to anyone without hearing about some form of conflict. And we need to be agents of peace in a broken world. That's what God is calling us to. 
He's calling us to this mission of making peace. And peace, where does it come from? Where does peace come from? It comes from God. It comes from God. The only way we're going to get that kind of peace is if we tap into the relationship with God. Think about the Trinity for a moment. When you think about peace, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in perfect harmony with one another. A few weeks ago, Beth gave an illustration of the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son holding hands and inviting us into that circle. That's what peacemaking does. It allows us to tap into the source of peacemaking so that we can then be conduits for that same kind of peace in a broken world to be the kind of neighbors that Jesus is calling us to be. Last week, we had some baptisms here. And one of the things that I've noticed about baptisms, every time we do them, we ask the question, how has your life changed since coming to know Jesus? And without fail, people always say, you know, I experienced an overwhelming sense of peace, a kind of peace that I've never experienced before. You see, Jesus is instilling his peace into us so that we can then be conduits of that peace to a broken world, so that we can neighbor the way Jesus intended us to neighbor. When you become a peacemaker, you're putting on the character of God. That means when you have the character of God on you, you will be doing the very things God would do if he were in your shoes. It's like when you go around, you are being an ambassador for Jesus in everything that you do and everything you say. So are you a peacemaker or are you a peacekeeper? How do you know? I think chances are we fluctuate back and forth between the two. But I'd like to give you three overarching characteristics that are true of all peacemakers, not keepers, makers. I want you to hear this. First of all, peacemakers are prepared to give up their rights. Peacemakers are prepared to give up their rights. In Philippians 2.3, we see that Jesus gave up his rights to enter our world. He entered our world with the sole purpose of making peace with you and me. And for him to do that, he had to give up his right. Remember, he's God. He's in heaven with God in a perfect place where there is no brokenness, perfect harmony. Everything is perfect. And he has a right to be there and to stay there, but he chooses to give up that right to enter our world so that he can bring about peace. And he knows what it's going to cost him to do that. He knows what it's going to cost him. And so when we want to be peacemakers, we need to recognize that it's going to come with a cost. And for us to do it effectively, it's going to require that we give up our rights, whatever those rights may be. And we all feel that we have certain rights, right? Okay, now number two, peacemakers always take the initiative. Peacemakers always take the initiative. In Luke 19.10, it says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Did you get that? He came to seek, meaning he pursued us so that he could save us, the lost. He came looking for us. We can't make peace if we're avoiding a problem. We can't, make, make, we can't make peace if we're sitting at home saying, I'm not going to go there because of what that person did to me. Right? 
we need to take the initiative. Number three, peacemakers love others before they are loved by others. In 1 John 4.19, it says we, are lo- we love because we are loved first. Right? We can't love unless the love of God is flowing through us. We just don't have the capacity to love in the way that God is calling us to love. But because God pours his love into us first, we then can love. We've all been in conflicts with people where we've said, I'm not even going to talk to that person. Right? If you knew what that person did to me, there's no way that I would be justified in taking the first step toward that person. They need to take accountability for what they've done. They need to take the first step toward me. They need to apologize before I even consider the possibility of reconciliation. And we've all been there. Sometimes our friends will say, oh, just go talk to them. Just go talk to them. And you say, no. I am not going to talk to them. They need to come to me first because they need to take ownership. They need to be held accountable. And I know I'm right about this. And you may be. You may be right. But you know what? I learned something really, really valuable about this, this point a few years back here at Trinity. We did this great workshop called The Marriage Journey where we took couples in the church that had been married for like 15, 20 30 years, and we paired them with a bunch of young couples that had either just gotten married or were thinking about getting married, and we asked them, tell us what you've learned. What wisdom can you impart? And I remember, I will never forget this, one of the guys that had been married for 20-some years said, here's something that I've learned that I think will be very valuable to you. You can be right And you can still be dead wrong. Because it's not about being right in a relationship. It's about relationship. So if you want relationship, you have to give up being right from time to time. Isn't that profound? So how does that impact the way that we neighbor? How does that impact the way that we neighbor? Well, let me give you some tactics. I'd like to give you five tactics that I think will help you to apply these characteristics in the way that you go about your neighboring, okay? First, deal with conflict early. We see this in Matthew 18. It may be tempting to ignore a problem and hope that it'll go away, but ignoring a problem is very similar to taking a Band-Aid out and putting it on an infected wound. What happens when you do that? The wound just gets progressively worse. You can't see it because the Band-Aid's there, but it gets progressively worse. And if you let it go for too long, it can kill you. Okay? So deal with conflict early. Number two, practice restraint, especially with your tongue. Practice restraint, especially with your tongue. One of the leading idols in our culture is the idol of self-expression. 
We feel that it is within our rights to express ourselves whenever we feel upset about something, right? And so if someone does something to us that is offensive, we feel that we have to say something, the sooner the better, and we usually do it with all caps if we write an email, right? Or we raise our voice. But we make sure that that person knows where we're coming from. But what would happen if we didn't express ourselves? What would happen if we showed some restraint and took some time to think through the issue and about ways that we could engage that person in a way that would be life-giving, that might initiate the peace process? Number three, we need to attack the problem and not the person. Attack the problem and not the person. One of the things that happens to us frequently when we're upset about something is we see the person as the problem and not the problem as the problem. And one of the sayings or the things that I've learned over the last few years is that we only have one enemy. And it's not the person that you have conflict with. They may be a conduit for that problem, but you need to address the problem and not the the person. Otherwise, peacemaking will be destroyed and you'll never have the chance of reconciliation. Number four, confess your part of the conflict. We see this in Matthew 7, 5. Confessing our part in a conflict requires humility, doesn't it? Have you ever had your mom say, it takes two to fight? And you always hated hearing that because it never really resolved the issue, right? It was basically a way of saying, don't come to me with your problem, right? (laughs) But when she says it takes two to fight, it really does take two to fight. And frequently, we played a part in the issue, whatever it may have been. And so we need to do an assessment of what we bring. What kind of baggage do we bring to the issue that could be caustic, that could be causing greater friction? in this situation, and how can we start to alleviate some of that? Number five, emphasize reconciliation and not resolution. Sometimes we just want to get through it, right? Let's address it with the person, not too concerned about reconciliation. I just want them to know where I stand, and we can agree to disagree, right? But that's not the heart of a peacemaker, okay? God is looking for reconciliation, Scripture tells us that we need to be willing to forgive that person even before we engage them. We need to have a heart of forgiveness. We need to to extend that forgiveness as we're approaching them with the issue, even before they are responsive. So these are five tactics that can be really helpful when we find ourselves in a conflict, and we will, by the way. Now, let me ask you something. How many of you are experiencing a conflict right now? Yeah? Most of us. And if you're not, just be patient. Because one will, one will come to you very soon. And you will be able to embrace this peace process with fervor and zeal. <laughs> conflict is just part of life. And conflict in and of itself is not a bad thing. Conflict is an opportunity to bring peace, to bring restoration, 
Okay? It doesn't feel like it a lot of times, but it is. And to close this out, instead of sharing more tactics, I do have many more, but I think it would be better for you to hear from Heidi, my friend Heidi D'Alessandro. Heidi, if you would come up, bring that stool with you, would you? And I, I'm just going to interview Heidi, okay? And for those of you who don't know Heidi, Heidi's involved in all sorts of things here at Trinity. And one of the things that you might not know about Heidi is she has a passion for peacemaking. She is part of a peacemaking ministry with Fred and Susanna Atkins, and she has helped dozens of people to work through conflict. Now, how did you get involved in peacemaking? What was the genesis of that? About seven years ago, I was in a conflict with a friend, with a roommate, and I just thought, okay, I'm a Christian. I know how to do this. I just have to be really nice and really kind. And instead, I started to be really passive and really aggressive. And I thought, you know what? I need to be free of this issue. This is bad for me. It's bad for her. It's bad for the other roommate. I'm just going to go find a place to live on my own, even though I couldn't afford it. And then one day I heard that Fred was practicing this peacemaking stuff, and I was like, all right, last-ditch effort. I'll go to see if I can solve my problem by seeking this coaching. Met with Fred for a few hours. He gave me a book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And I started to read it, and my mind was blown, one, that there was a biblical method to resolving conflict. I was never taught that growing up. Um, and then as I was trying to practice these, um, these principles, my my life was transformed and I discovered that the freedom that I was looking for was not going to come from leaving the conflict. It was going to come from my obedience and walking with the Lord through it. And it was a textbook scenario in the sense that it was rough and then we were reconciled and we are really, really good friends today. And we like, we talk about this conflict as like one of the biggest joys of our lives because of how it transforms both of our lives. So after that, I was like, I need, I need to help others. With this. So you got involved in this peacemaking ministry. And over the years, it's probably been six or seven years now. And you've probably met with more than 50 people uh, and helped them to work through various forms of conflict. Give me some examples of the types of conflict that people bring to you. Well, roommates are one of them, obviously. Um, any, any relationship you can imagine, um, wives, husbands, fiancés, uh, friends, coworkers, parents, children, uh, mother-in-laws, father-in-laws, um, all that stuff. And it usually centers around, you know, just hurt and pain over the way someone has been treated in that relationship. And so you've been doing this for a long time now. Um, I would consider you an authority on peacemaking. So you've got, kind of got this. I mean, you don't really experience conflict anymore, right? No. That's what I thought. I mean, we're done here, right? I mean, if you need to find out about how to deal with conflict. No. Reality is, it doesn't matter how versed we are or how skilled we are at mediation or dealing with conflict. We still have brokenness inside of us that crops up and creates very challenging scenarios for us personally, to engage in the peacemaking process. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, uh, we're not released from our emotional reactions to things, and God doesn't really actually hold us accountable. I don't think pastor could prove me wrong. God doesn't hold us accountable for an emotional reaction to something, but he does hold us responsible 
for how we deal with that emotional reaction. Are we going to lean on our own wisdom and understanding or are we going to walk with the Lord through it? And because I believe now that conflict is an opportunity and not a threat, I used to think all conflict was a threat, so that's why I ran away from it. Um, now I, I welcome it in a different way. So are you in a conflict now? Why, yes, I am. Did, you are. Did you see me raise my it's, hand over it's there? Kinda, it's kind of like asking her, let's talk about something you're struggling with. In front, in front of, of everyone, everyone, right? Tell me about this conflict that you're dealing with and how it started. So it started, I moved into a new apartment two months ago, and a couple weeks into it, I discovered that my downstairs neighbor uh, smokes cigarettes. Um, it felt like 24-7, and I was just devastated when I realized this because I thought this was a, a perfect apartment, and no one lived above me, so I wasn't going to hear heels clicking on the, you know, there was no one on the sides of me, so, like, no loud music. I was like, this is perfect. And then I smelled the smoke. So Now that's important to you because yes. why? Because I am very health conscious. And I, you know, years ago I decided to, I really wanted to lead a healthy lifestyle. Um, and so when I realized that I could be smoking for a year, that's how I felt. I now have to smoke for a year. And I really don't want to. I was so angry. I was so sad. And I was, I, I was so, I hated this person. I honestly hated him. And I thought... Smoke as much as you want. Maybe that'll make you disappear sooner. Um, it, it, was, it was actually, like, you know, funny but not funny because I really didn't want to engage with this person. I just wanted, I just wanted him to stop. So it sounds like, you know, you're, you're being really transparent about this inner conflict mm -hmm. that you had to deal with even before engaging in the peacemaking process. Yeah. My guess is that if anybody here is dealing with a conflict, maybe it's been going on for a long time, right? Maybe you feel defeated. Maybe you still feel anger or bitterness. And you feel like, I can't even go there. I can't even think about the peacemaking process because I can't get over this hurdle. So what do we do there? Mm. Um, well, in general, and I'll, I'll use my example, is when you're angry and you're bitter and you're holding on, on, on to that, it's usually because you're holding on to a desire. You're desiring something that you're not getting out of the situation. And when you open up that desire and you give it to God and he puts it in its rightful place, and what I mean by rightful place is that desire can become so high that you, that you would do anything to get it. You would sin against the other person to get it. So when he takes it and he puts it underneath relationship and underneath reconciliation and he makes recon reconciliation the top priority, then you're... And if you trust him, if you have given your trust over to him... You can trust that even if it's going to cost you, it is worth it. Okay. So over time, God softened your heart mm -hmm. toward this person below you. Mm -hmm. And you were able to engage in the peacemaking process. You were able to reach out to him. What did that look like? Yeah. Um, well, quickly, I, I found compassion for him because I, I read something that it's harder and harder for smokers to smoke in New York City. And I overheard some smokers talking about um, how they felt like they were treated like second-class citizens nowadays. And I just... I was sad over that. Um, so I was like, you know what? I, I'll try not to be attached to the results. I just want to have a, a good conversation with my neighbor. Knocked on his door. He wasn't home. Slipped a note under. Said, hey, neighbor. Um, my name's Heidi. I live above. I've noticed this issue. I was wondering if we could talk about a solution. Here's my number. Call me or knock on my door any day. Um, the next morning, he texted me. And he said, I am so sorry. I'm going to stop smoking in my room. I promise it won't happen again. So like, uh, okay, so, so you get this amazing response, you know, and for months you've been thinking, do I need to hire somebody to take this guy out, right? I mean, 
you, you've had this internal conflict that's really been raging inside of you. And then when you finally humble yourself and you choose to respond to him humbly and respectfully, he's, he's pleasantly responsive to you. Okay, so what kind of solution have you agreed to? We're in beta mode testing the solution. But so after that, that first week, I noticed some improvements. And I was really thankful, but still a little angry. Um, and so I was like, I need to talk to him again. And I had, had a friend who talked about this, this product called Smoke Buddy. I actually have it with me if anyone wants to see it after, if you're curious. Um, it's a personal filter device. We have two minutes left. Um, and you, you smoke and you exhale into it and it gets rid of the smell. So I texted him and said, hey, thanks so much for your efforts. Can you try this product? I'd be willing to purchase it for you. I want you to be able to smoke in your home, but I want to be able to have a smoke-free home. So maybe this can work for us. And he said, yeah, sure. Okay, so he's willing to try it. You have the smoke, buddy, and you haven't, you haven't delivered it yet, so we don't know how it's going to work. Please pray. Uh, but, you know, you're taking initiative, and he's very, being very responsive. My question to you at this point is, what do you suppose this peacemaking process is doing for your relationship with him? How is the peacemaking process, I mean, taking these tactics that we talked about and having an overarching uh, culture or or characteristics that are Christ-like, how does that affect your neighbor when you're engaging with this conflict? I think, because I haven't met him face-to-face yet. I want to. Um, I think and I hope it gives him a sense of respect and dignity. I can only imagine how he's been treated um, because of his, you know, this choice, this lifestyle choice he makes. Um, And I hope it opens up the way for us to have a good and healthy relationship and eventually... Maybe a friendship. Maybe I can talk to him about my faith and how, you know, it was hard for me to approach this. And I I don't know what will come of it, but I'm now less attached to the results of getting what I want, which is very hard for me, um, and and opened up to that relationship. Mm -hmm. So what what I wanted you to see in this interview is that this is not easy. But nothing that is valuable is easy. There's always a cost for the things that are of value, right? There's a cost. And Heidi is paying a cost, but she's opening the door for the kind of reconciliation, the kind of neighboring that God would want from us. And I wanted you to see Heidi struggling with this because she's like the guru, right? (laughs) And the rest of us, you know, this is foreign territory for many of us, but she gets this stuff and she still struggles with it. And so my question uh, next is, I imagine that a lot of people here are thinking about this in their own context. They're thinking about some of the challenges that they're facing, the conflicts that they're facing, and they're wondering, how do I take the next steps? Because I've been kind of uh, stuck for a while. What would you say to the people that are here today that are either wanting to engage in the peacemaking process or not? I would say that I know for a fact that God wants to do something in you and through you in this conflict. Um, if conflict is an opportunity to glorify him and to serve your neighbor and to become more like Christ, then it's the perfect opportunity for you to grow in your walk with the Lord. And find, find the peace that you're not finding by either avoiding it or trying to fist through it and like get what you want. Um, okay. yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I, I would like for, to pray. Well, I'd like you to pray, actually, for everyone here including myself, that it struggles with this. 
and that God would give us a, a divine passion for being a peacemaker instead of a peacekeeper. Would you pray for us? Oh, Father, you know the desires of our hearts. Um, you know our fears. You know our hesitations, our struggles. And God, even, even mustering the desire to be a peacemaker um, is an effort and a miracle in and of itself. So for those of us who are struggling with the desire to, to walk with you in this area um, and risk and, um, and count the cost of, of what it means to do it, would you just work on our desire? Um, would you show us that worshiping you is better than worshiping what we want? Um, that worshiping you and, uh, and being ambassadors of reconciliation in your name is one of the most freeing uh, and transforming things we can do for your kingdom, for the people around us, and even for ourselves, Lord. Um, God, we know that you were... You want us to be obedient, and you don't need us to achieve certain results. So we know that when we follow you, um, peace is with us, even if reconciliation seems out of reach, God. Um, so I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the power to do what our spirit is willing to do, but what our flesh is weak to do. And we know that you are faithful to do it. I thank you, and I praise you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Heidi. I really appreciate you.